You'd think by second to last week we'd be a well-oiled machine. We, we're kind of a joke. So, um, But he, anyway, I, I think it's fascinating. That even our bodies tell us that when we don't tell the truth, there's something wrong. And that's what we've been holding out every week, that the Ten Commandments, far from being these kind of random rules, they actually hold out for you a description of the beautiful life, the life you were made for, because it's a description of the beautiful one, because God is truth, and he wants us to reflect him. So what I want to examine tonight is the beauty of truth. So let's, uh, let's read together Exodus 20, verse 1, 2, and 16. Let me pray. Father, would you uh, help us to understand your word? Would you change us by truth? Or many of us tonight believe lies that we are too far in sin that you can't save us. Many of us believe lies that we are actually pretty good people and so we don't really need grace. Many of us believe lies that that you're a lot more like Satan and you are out to condemn us and punish us rather than save us. And so would you bring us out of those lies and help us see the truth of Jesus uh, so that we might be free. We ask this in your son's name, I pray. Amen. All right, Exodus 20, starting verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Grass withers, flowers fade. The word of our God, it stands forever. That's because God's word is true. Um, okay, let's see three things. Let's see the beauty of truth, why we distort the truth so naturally, and the saving truth. First, the beauty of it. Why does God devote a whole commandment to guarding the distortion of truth? We've been seeing this every week. It must be because there is something inherently beautiful and valuable about truth. And there is. Something is true, right, to the degree that it aligns with or reflects reality. So my son right now, right, Clark, who's uh, almost two, he believes that fire will not hurt him. That is his grid for reality. And if he functions according to that false reality, right, he will get hurt. If he thinks fire is fun, he will end up being injured. And so it is actually loving for us as parents to keep him in line with truth, that fire will actually hurt you. And see, what God is saying in the ninth commandment is that the beautiful life simply is calling us to live in accordance with reality. Because anything outside of reality will actually hurt you. And so the ninth commandment is forbidding any words or attitudes or actions that create a false reality for yourself or for another person. Because anything that is inconsistent with reality ends up hurting you and taking away from the beautiful life. And so strictly defined, this commandment, forbidding false witness against your neighbor, that actually has courtroom language to it. And so narrowly defined, the ninth commandment is saying you are forbidden to lie under oath in the court, right? You cannot fudge affidavits or something like that. And I doubt I have to convince any of you tonight about the, how destructive a false witness in the court of law is. And you know that's true. Whatever your professors in college have done where they've created confusion about whether there is universal or objective truth, you know this. A justice system that is not hinged to reality and that is not trustworthy quickly descends into chaos and sends the culture into chaos. And so the ultimate distortion of reality is to bear false witness under oath. 
But then what Katie Marie read for us right in Matthew 5, Jesus shows us the full extension of the law, and he says all the words that come out of your mouth are oaths before God. That your yes should be yes, and our no should be no. And so what you begin to realize is that this law forbids any distortion or manipulation of the truth. Because that denies reality, which is always hurtful for you and always hurtful for other people. I think we know this. We all can tell stories about how we were hurt or offended when we discovered that someone deceived us or withheld the truth from us. Because it was belittling. And it was hurtful. And at the same time, the contrary... right? The people that are most precious to you many times are those who are trustworthy. There's just something about them that draws you in. And so this command forbids everything from lying under oath to flattery, to gossip, to slander, to stereotyping people, even like slight exaggerations of stories so that I can look better than I am. Because all those things traffic in distorted realities. And so let's just take two examples, okay? Stereotyping. What happens when we stereotype people? Here's what's happening. Instead of, instead of getting to know somebody as a real person, you take an individual or you take a group of people and you make a quick, usually simplified judgment about who this person is and you just categorize them. You categorize them that they are this because they're in the sorority or you categorize her as a liar and you reduce her down to the lowest common denominator, or you categorize him as socially inept, how is that distorting reality? Because you're not trafficking in truth anymore. Instead of dealing with a real person, instead of getting to know someone, you've set up a false reality so that you can dismiss them, so, you don't have to be, so that you don't have to deal with them. And it's belittling, and it's hurtful. And see, that's why gossip is forbidden in this command. Gossip does not traffic in reality, even if it's true. Right? Because gossip is, means I will say something about you behind your back that I will not say to your face. That's at the heart of gossip. And as soon as I've said something behind your back that I wouldn't say to your face, our relationship is no longer trafficking in reality. Because I'm presenting something uh, uh, to my face to you that's not true behind closed doors. And it's hurtful. And secondly, that little morsel of gossip, it ends up distorting who that person is and who their name is before the people that I pass it to, right? Because that gossip does not give the full picture of who a person is. And now the people that you've shared that with, they have a distorted picture of that person and they start relating to them according to a distorted reality. And thirdly, this is why we love gossip. Man, I love gossip. You know why? Because it makes me feel good about myself. Anytime you hear those little bits, even if they're truth about what somebody else did, the reason we love it is it makes us feel superior to them. And that superiority is a false reality. We're not superior. But you'll start trafficking in that, in that environment and it's hurtful. And that, by the way, is why flattery is actually hurtful. Right? If gossip is, I'll, I'll say something behind somebody's back that I won't say to your face, flattery is, I'll say something to your face that I will not say behind your back. Which means I would rather you traffic in a false perception of yourself so that you'll like me. 
And it actually hurts people. And so when you see the beauty of truth and you peel back the distortions that we do, I think you see how radically selfish any distortion of the truth is. Because what I end up trying to do is to shape someone else's reality falsely, purely for my benefit, purely for my comfort. It's incredibly selfish and it's always degrading. And so first we've seen how I think the ninth command, it guards the beauty and the value of truth because the Lord cares about reality because He is real. And deception and distortions of truth always take away from reality and therefore distort who God is. But here's what I want to kind of ponder with you. Why do we? Like, why do we so easily distort the truth? I think deep down we know the truth is beautiful. We want reality. We know it's foundational, but we're so prone to distort it. We don't... When I was studying that this commandment has slayed me because I've realized, like, I don't even have to try to exaggerate stories a little bit just to put me in, my, in a good light. It just happens. It's just what we do. Why? And I think there's two main reasons. First, we distort truth to avoid suffering. Suffering, whether light or heavy, is simply any time you deem something as precious. Suffering is when that thing gets threatened or is going to be taken away. And so when physical health is precious, when that is threatened or taken away, there's physical suffering, right? When being accepted is precious, then when, that taking, when that's taken away, loneliness is a real form of suffering, right? Does that make sense? So think with me. How much of your distortion of truth is simply because we're unwilling to suffer? Lying, at the heart of lying is self-preservation. It's selfish. It's forsaking reality so that you and I don't have to lose something. If your image or your reputation is what is most precious to you, then you'll just distort truth, distort reality so you don't have to lose it. I can remember just last year, I had to call my boss, okay, and confess to him that I lied. That when I was giving a report about how RUF was going to kind of, kind of this committee... What I realized is, I didn't go into it trying to do this. I just ever so slightly exaggerated the numbers at RUF, right? Ever so slightly kind of manipulated some of the stories so that RUF seemed a little bit more impressive than it actually was. Why did I do that? Because what I deem as incredibly precious is that other people think of me as a like, good campus minister. And I'd rather exaggerate and distort reality to protect that image than suffer the loss of it. And you just got to ask yourself, how much of your conversation with peers or with teachers or your parents is quite simply this sophisticated PR campaign where you're trying to manage your image before people? Whether it's a slight exaggeration of a story or flat out lying, you're just always spinning and nuancing the truth to manage what you think of me. Because I would rather misrepresent the truth than to suffer the loss of an image. And so there's so many lies that come out because we just don't want people to be disappointed. I mean, how much of our social media posturing is because we just need to project a false image so that you think differently about me? Or think in another category. How many times do we break our word 
simply because being truthful would cause suffering. Right? And that, that could be the garden variety of saying, look, I'm going to do something. I, we'll say, you'll say, I'll do something with you on Friday night. And you've said that. But then you find out that there's actually a better offer on Friday night. Right? So you either lie or you just break your commitment. Why? Because you don't want to suffer missing out. There's something better going on. And so I'll just break it. And so the first reason, I think, is we avoid suffering. But second of all, behind the avoiding suffering and consequences is really this. And this is what was so convicting. Is we distort the truth because we don't really trust God with reality. We don't think He's trustworthy. Anytime we distort the truth, anytime we refuse to traffic in reality, by definition we are saying this. I don't think the Lord will be good to me in actual reality. So I've got to conjure up a false one. I don't think God will take care of me in reality, so I've got to, I've got to make a false one. And so we manufacture a false and distorted reality because we don't believe God will take care of us. We are so convinced that the Lord will not be good to us that we'd rather create a false reality than to let Him deal with us. Right? I'm glad none of my kids are here tonight. Um, right, we're dealing with Annie with lying some. Why, why does Annie lie? Well, on the one hand, she will lie about something that she, that she did, and she'll deny that she did, you know, did it, because she doesn't want the consequences, right, of whatever the punishment's going to be. But here's what's painful, too. Sometimes I realize she doesn't... Tr- she lies because she doesn't trust me as her dad with reality. She doesn't trust that I'll be with her in reality. That's actually painful. And that's at the heart of what we're doing, right? When your parents ask you what your weekend looked like and you shade the truth so that their perception of your weekend is a little different than your real weekend, yes, you're probably avoiding suffering at that point. But really, you distrust the Lord's ability to sustain you in that reality and your parents in that reality. And so you'd rather conjure up a false one. Or think about when we refuse to be honest about our sin with people and refuse to confess it. What we're saying is there is no way that God will be good to me and protect me if I confess what's true. So I'm just going to cover up and construct a false reality. All lies, at the heart of our lying is a distrust of God and His ability to handle the real me and to handle reality itself. We just don't believe God is trustworthy. And so, hopefully we've seen the beauty and the value of truth and why He guards it. And hopefully we've seen behind so much of our lying is we just, we're just selfish and we want to avoid suffering. And we don't really think the Lord is trustworthy. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that we so naturally distort truth. Well, I hope you figured out by now if you've been coming that the answer isn't just to try harder. You need to try. That doesn't deal with the heart. That doesn't deal with our lack of trust in the Father. And so every week we've been seeing how the Ten Commandments, they hold out for us this picture of the beautiful life, yes. But the reason the commandments are the beautiful life is because they point us to Jesus and what He is like. And see, the only thing that will actually begin to heal your heart, the motivations behind our lying, 
is to see Jesus. The real Jesus. Like the true Jesus. Jesus as he actually is, not as we distort him to be. Not as we conjure him up to be in our mind. Not not even as sometimes we feel like he is. But as you receive and know the real Jesus. Who has been revealed to us in his word. Because God's word, the scriptures, they do not bear a false witness. They're always a true witness to who God is and to who we are. And many of you, you think that God is hiding from you. And that's just a distortion of the truth. He's revealed himself. He's made himself known. He wants to be known. He gives us his word because he loves us and it bears witness to who he is. And when you see Jesus, by his word, it's amazing. It's actually, it's astounding. It is beauty on display. Because what you see is God himself, who is truth, comes to this earth and he takes on flesh. And Jesus' life is so truthful and so pure and so watertight that when people want to kill him, They can't find anything to charge him with. And so they bring him to this court. And there's this religious court made up of people who say that they love the law. And say that they love God. And just imagine the scene. Here is the one man in the whole history of the world who can actually stand before a court. And there is absolutely nothing you could find him guilty of. Nothing. And he stands before that court. He has never uttered a deceitful word. He has only loved people. He is perfectly innocent. He's always trusted his heavenly father with with reality. And so the only hope is to conjure up false witnesses. And they do. And you see the grossest violation of the ninth commandment. When false witnesses come up and declare the only innocent man guilty. And he's falsely accused. And he heads to a cross. And all he had to do to save his life was, was to distort the truth just a little bit. But he refuses to avoid suffering. He refuses. He hangs on to truth. And he goes to the cross. And Brian Habig points this out. You have to ask this question. Why is God the Father allowing his son to be beaten, to be spit upon to be whipped, for people to mock him, say all kinds of false things about him, and eventually go to the cross. Why does God the Father ordain his own son to die on a cross and and suffer the wrath of God? Why? Here's the answer. Because God is truth. Because he is a God of truth. And he's utterly trustworthy. And God hates Lying. And God hates deceit. And so when Jesus is getting hit, and when he's getting pounded, and when he goes to the cross and undergoes the full wrath of God, it's because Jesus is your substitute. And all of our lying and all of our deceit goes on to Jesus, and God is so truthful and so committed to his word that he punishes the sin. Of me and of you when it's on Jesus. God is so truthful that he fully enacts his wrath 
on his own son when our sin covers him. That's how truthful he is. And so first, that really is a sobering warning to us. Because when you look at Jesus, that actually needs to wake some of you up tonight. God never utters an insincere word. And so tonight, if you think sin is no big deal, you need to hear that judgment is real. If God the Father did not withhold his own wrath when the sin was placed on Jesus... That means you're in denial of reality if you think you can stand before God the Father in the end on your own merits. You can't. The day is coming where where because of his love for his people and his world, every bit of darkness and every bit of sin is going to be judged and put away. And if you're not standing in Jesus, you need to hear that. Because to dismiss that tonight is to choose to live in a false reality. You're in denial. But there's also this amazing life-giving truth in in Jesus. Because there's tremendous grace to be found in the truth of who Jesus is. Look at the sincerity of God. So true to his word is God that he punishes every sin even if it's placed on his guiltless and perfect son in your place. And this is the good news. You really can trust his word. If you've received Jesus' life and death, when God says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, he's not lying. He's not distorting reality. There is none. All of us, all of us who even with sheepish and hesitant faith trust Jesus as our substitute and you take God at his word and say, I don't even understand this word. I'll I'll let Jesus deal with my sin. That truth saves you. Because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus was fully condemned in your place. Even when you sin tomorrow. You don't like come back under condemnation. There's none. And that means everything that Jesus says about you is absolutely true. You can trust it. Everything. I've told this story before. um, I think I told it last semester. But there's this guy named David Ireland who uh, who ended up having ALS. And he wrote this book called Letters to an Unborn Child. Because his wife was pregnant. And he thought he might never see, really get to know his... uh, his child, And so he wrote this book to kind of describe what his mom, his wife, you know, the child's mom and his wife is like. And there's this amazing kind of passage because he, he says, let me tell you what, mom, what your mom is like. He said, I actually hate taking showers. Because when I take showers, right, I, my shirt is off and I realize how withered I am. I realize how my, my head hangs to the side. I realize that my chest is really concave. My muscles have whittled away. And I just don't like how I look. And he says, when I take a shower and I look at myself in the mirror, I'm just disgusted with myself. Because I see how broken I am. And he said, every time that that happens, he said, your mom will look at me and say, stop it. Stop admiring yourself in the mirror. But then a few hours later, I will have been wheeled out into the kitchen and she will, she'll take my hand and she'll put my hand in her lap and she'll say, you know you're the most handsome man I've ever met. You know that I love you. 
And he said, somehow, because of our shared experience and everything that we've been through, I actually know that she means it and that it's true. You see, what the truth of God in Jesus means is this. The Lord never utters an insincere word. And if you come to him with your real self, with how messed up we really are, and you trust that you can be in Christ by, by simple faith, that means he really means what he says about you. He really means nothing can separate you from his love. He really means it when he says, you bring him great joy. And you say, me? Yes. He cannot lie. He cannot flatter you. This commandment is asking you to live in light of what is real. So that when your conscience or Satan looks at, says, look at your life. Your life's a joke. God is so disappointed in you. Sure, you might be in the family of God, but he's just tolerating you. He doesn't really like you. That's from the father of lies. That's not real. You need to believe what's true. That you are covered in the righteousness of Christ. And Zephaniah says that God rejoices over you right now with singing. That he delights that you're his. That he's showing you off to the world. That's truth. That's not flattery. He cannot be insincere. Jesus only traffics in reality. And that means the PR campaign is finally over. You can be honest with him about who you are. His love is not a game. It's real. His promises aren't half-truths. He is trustworthy. You can trust Him with your shame. You can trust Him with your guilt. You can trust Him with yourself. And that even means this. When you go through suffering, and suffering you will. Listen, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not trying to simplify it. I'm not saying that somehow this removes the suffering. But because He is trustworthy... It does mean this, when he brings suffering into your life, you can trust that somehow he has not abandoned you and he's actually making you beautiful through it. And that means you don't have to manufacture some kind of protection to keep you from suffering. You can trust him. This is how kind the Lord is. He knows we're prone to believe lies. And so he gives us his word to bear witness to who he is. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit who comes inside us of us to bear witness to what is true of you, that you're a child of the King. And then he gives us this thing called the church, a whole community that's supposed to bear witness to the truth of who God is and the truth of what sin is and the truth of what righteousness is. And I don't know about you, I need that. There are days that I feel like what I believe is just crazy. That I follow a dead and resurrected man who sits at the right hand of God the Father. And sometimes what I've needed is you to remind me that that's real. And so that, the truth of those things and who Jesus is, it sends us out into the world as truth tellers. Because that's who God is. And just think about it. What would this community, what would the community of RUF be? If we were known as people that were trustworthy and that always spoke in loving truth, I think that would be an attractive community. And we will be that to the extent that we know the reality of Jesus' love for us. It's real. It's not fake. And you can trust him with your real self. And he'll bring you in. That's an invitation. Let's pray.
Father, would you um, convince us of the truth of your word? Lord, we bring doubts, uh, we bring um, shame, we bring questions. And Lord, we are so prone to, we're so prone to believe lies and to treat your words as hollow. And so, Lord, you help us to believe that you love to save and you love to deliver. And we experience that your truth sets us free. We ask this in Jesus' name.